Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, I don't know if anybody told you this morning, but you look good. Would you just, would you just tell the person beside of you, say, you look good today. I'm so glad I'm sitting beside of you. Now turn to the other person and say, I was just lying about them. I don't know who they are. I'm glad to be sitting beside you. Uh, are you excited about the, uh, the block party? I'm excited about that. It's going to be a fun day. It's going to be a fun afternoon. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're so excited to have you here uh, to celebrate just the goodness of God, man, just to celebrate uh, his grace and love being poured out into our lives. And, and so today we're, we're kicking off a series. Uh, it's called David and Goliath. And, uh, and you might be thinking, uh, you know, why are we talking about David and Goliath? Like, don't we know everything about that story? You know, because, because it's one of the greatest stories of all time. Like, I mean, it really is. It's not the greatest story, of course, because that's Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is always the best. He's always number one. The answer to every question you're ever going to ask is Jesus, right? So, okay, we get that. But David and Goliath is just an incredible story. In fact, it's so, it's so amazing that it's a metaphor in our culture. Right? Like, like the story of David and Goliath, it, it, it's taken on this meaning of, of like the ultimate underdog uh, achieving a victory which was not only improbable, but impossible. Like, it, it's taken on this whole, like, motif that, that even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you didn't go to vacation Bible school as a kid, like you don't know anything about Jesus or anything, but, but if somebody says, you know, man, that, that, like this matchup against these two football teams is like David and Goliath. Like they use it on sports, right? Like to talk about, you know, uh, what was last year's like the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. It's David and Goliath, right? Like it's just, it's so common. And it, we can be tempted to think like, I think we got everything we can get out of this. Little man, big man, he wins. That's the end of the story, right? So why are we spending a whole series on this? We're going to talk about David and Goliath for three weeks. And it's, it's just simply because when I look at, at, at people's lives that I know and I look at my own life and I just examine what's going on, I recognize that there are still giants in the land. Like, in, in, in my walk, like, there are still giants. And here's the thing. Like, like none of us probably are going to wake up tomorrow and go to work and face a nine-foot-tall behemoth who wants to kill us. Like, that's probably not going to happen. So we're not talking about literal, physical Goliaths. But there are all kinds of giants who are still camped out in our lives. And I think about people I know struggling with, with anxiety. And I think about how anxiety is a giant in their lives. And every day they're battling this thing and they're fighting it. And, and they just want to experience some freedom and relief from a giant that's still in the land. Think about people who battle fear, who, who are constantly uh, living their lives in fear of what may happen or what if this or, or what if that doesn't come through. I think about people who, who have uh, uh, giants of addiction in their lives and so when they get stressed out, and listen, this is some of you, okay? This is how we roll at Vertical Church. I just kind of talk as straight and plain as I can. Uh, people who you get stressed out in life, day isn't going well, and you need to unwind. So you pop open a substance. Maybe it might be in a bottle. It might be in a, in a pill form. But you take it just so you can get the edge off a little bit because you're super stressed out. But every night when you go to sleep, you would think, I wish I could just conquer this thing once and for all. And I didn't have to depend on that crutch in my life. And there's still 
still giants that are lying to us and we're stuck in this perpetual season of mediocrity in our lives and we see the direction we want to go. We see what we want to do, but we're caught by these giants of, 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 of personality traits that were passed on to us by our parents and previous generations and we're trapped by these giants of comfort that lead us to live lives of passivity and lackadaisical living. And some of us... Some of us swore we would kill this thing when we were at like youth camp at 14. And, and, and some of us went to an altar or some of us went to a youth revival. And we said, I'm going to destroy this giant once and for all. This thing is no longer going to have control of me. And here you sit, 46 years old, still fighting that same giant. And I just, I just, I'm here today. I know I'm the, I'm the lead teaching pastor of this church, but I'm here today to tell you, you can be free. In Jesus, there is freedom from whatever's terrorizing you, from whatever is, is camped out in your life. There is freedom no matter how many times you've been knocked down, no matter how many times you've walked in the valley with that Goliath and you walked out defeated and you gave in and you feel like giving up. I want you to know today, David and Goliath is not a 3,000 year old story. It's a three minute old story. It's a story that was written yesterday in your life and my life. We don't have to look very far to find Goliath stalking us in our lives. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it to 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's where we find the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Uh, and then I'm going to just kind of paraphrase and jump through the story because th there's something I want you to see today. There's really just one idea. If you get that, you're good to go. So here we go. Uh, if you have a Bible, that's cool. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, you may not know this, but uh, the, the people at Life.Church have provided the Bible absolutely free on your mobile device. So just go to your app store, search for version, and download the Bible for free. There's like a gazillion interpretations, not interpretations, translations right there that you can access. It's an incredible, amazing resource that we have available to us through their generosity. Anyway, that's not a plug or an advertisement. It's just a really great app. Uh, anyway, verse 1, here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. Now let me pause right there, just kind of give you a little bit of a framework. So at this time, the Israelites, uh, the Jewish people, they occupy uh, the, the mountains of what you would think of as Israel. So cities like Jerusalem and Bethlehem, that's where they're at right now. Now, if you, that's the kind of the eastern part of Israel. But if you go to the west towards the coastland where you might find like Tel Aviv today, okay, think about that area. That's where the Philistines live. They're, they're like the arch nemesis, arch rival of the Israelites. They're just, they're always doing battle uh, in, in, these, in these valleys. And so what has happened is, is, and we'll see this, is that the Israelites and the Philistines have drawn battle lines on, the, on two uh, different sides of this valley. Uh, it's called the Valley of Elah. Israel's on the north side, I believe it, it is, and, and the Philistines are on the south. Uh, they're going to tell us that here in just a second. Uh, but but they're just they're 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 there because they're always there. They're always fighting. Ever since ever since the the people of God walked into this land, they've been warring with these other uh, other groups and 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 cities and and just trying to uh, occupy the promise that God had given them. All right, here we go. So they pitched camp. 
I'm not going to try that. Something like FS Demean, but I don't know if that's right. Don't correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but between Sokol and Ezekah, I didn't take Hebrew in seminary, so don't judge me. Anyway, verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So there we go. They're, they're, they're entrenched in this battle. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. That's over nine feet tall, probably. Like, that's about how, like, he's just huge. He's just this behemoth of a man. And look at this, verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels or 125 pounds. That's how much his armor weighs. Like, he's just carrying around on his body an extra hundred and some pounds, and it's like he can fight in that. Just this incredibly huge man. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and his bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, or 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, that's a really important part, like, if you've got a, a, Bible, a physical Bible in your hand or you're looking on your phone, like highlight that one. His shield bearer went in front of him. We're going to come back to that here in a minute. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. Now, and serve us. And, and, and that's a real common thing in ancient warfare. Where, where two armies would be just entrenched at each other, so they would each send out their champion, their best warrior, and then whoever won that fight, everybody else wouldn't have to die and suffer loss. That would just settle the, 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 the feud right there. And so Goliath says, let's do that. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed, terrified. Saul and all, everybody, is terrified at the sight of Goliath. Why? Because there are still giants in the land. They've been fighting for generations, trying to occupy the promise that God had given them, but there are still giants in the land. Now, what does this mean for you and me? That means that we may be in Christ, but we're also still in the battle. We may find ourselves today, if you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus, you may find yourself in Christ, but you've got to recognize you're still in the battle. There's this myth that, that when we come to Jesus, like it's just smooth sailing from there. Like, like so, some people will preach to you, you know, just surrender your life to Jesus and everything gets better. It doesn't. It doesn't all get better. You're still in the fight. And you might have a promise from God, but there are still giants in the land. And just because we belong to Jesus doesn't mean we're not in the fight. We may have the power of God in us, but we can still be paralyzed by the giant. Amen. And that's where the people of God find themselves. It's an incredibly sad picture if you think about it, right? What we discover, what the author of 1 Samuel tells us is that for 40 days and for 40 nights, Goliath walks out. And he taunts. He looks at the whole Israelite army and he taunts them and he defies them and he curses them and their God. And in the camp, you can imagine the conversation that's going on. 
It's like, you know, they're, you, you going out? You, are you, no, I'm not going out. Did you see that armor? I can't see that armor. Did you see his spear? I'm not going to fight. I can't go out there and fight that guy. He's too big. He's too strong. And another day passes. And Goliath taunt just continues to reverberate through the sounds of the Valley of Elah. Somewhere off in the, in, in the distance, there's a, there's a dad who's got three sons in the battle. He's got three sons on that hill, and he's concerned. He wants to check on them. He wants to know how they're doing because he hasn't heard from them in a while. So he, he grabs his youngest son, and he says, hey, I want you to take some supplies to the field. And he gives his son, he gives him grain, bread, and some cheese, which evidently was important. So uh, he's got grain, bread, and cheese. And he says, son, I want you to go check on your brothers. And when you find out how they're doing, I want you to come back and tell me what's going on in the battle. And that kid's name, his name is David. And when David gets there, he kind of looks around and he sees them getting ready for battle. But he also recognizes they have zero intention of actually fighting. They're, They're making the sound of war but they have no intention of engaging in the fight. And it seems pretty comfortable in the camp. And Goliath is in the valley taunting taunting the armies of God, taunting the God of the army. And everybody in the camp is pretty comfortable. And I think it's pretty descriptive of a lot of Christians today because we accommodate and tolerate things that Christ has already died to defeat. And we're sitting on the hill while our God is being taunted in the valley because we're more comfortable eating cheese on the hill charging into the valley with the giant we're more comfortable we're more comfortable with our i've got my grain i've got my bread i've got my cheese i'm good we walk into church and we put that mask on and we're like no everything's good i'm fine everything's going fine but we're living at about half of what jesus died to give us because there's still giants in the land and we're paralyzed in fear because we have convinced ourselves that we cannot defeat him. So David shows up and he starts asking. He's like, who's this guy? (laughs) Who's that guy down in the valley? That's Goliath. Don't you see his armor? It's pretty big. He is big. He's huge. Well, he's saying he's challenging. He wants somebody to come and fight him. Yeah, he's been doing it for 40 days. Well, what do you get if you go and beat him? Well, David, you get, you know, you get a cash prize. Uh, the king will give you his daughter in marriage and your tax exempt for the rest of your life. Now, I don't know about you, but sign me up. I will go fight Goliath if I don't have to give the IRS another dime, right? Like, I'm in. Now, he might be big, but he ain't that big. You're like, I'll try, you know? So David assesses the situation and he goes to King Saul. And I want you to see this. We're going to jump all the way down to verse 32. He looks at the giant, he looks at the army, and he goes to King Saul, and he says this. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And I just want to ask you this morning, is that what Jesus wants you to hear today? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart just because you see a giant in your land. Be comforted when you see giants in your way because that just means breakthrough is on the other side of the giant. It's a problem if there are no problems. Don't lose heart. Here's the thing. God will often call you to attack the very thing that wants to attack you. He'll often call you to go and and, and fight the very thing that's fighting you. And and here's the thing, because if you don't fight it, 
If you don't go to the fight, the fight will come to you. And you cannot win a battle in retreat. You cannot win the fight you're trying to, to, to fight in your life if you're tucking tail and running. You can't. And so Saul looks at David and he says, you're just a child. You can't do this. But then Saul has this realization. He might be a kid, but he's all we got. <laughs> Nobody else is stepping up. Nobody else is stepping up to the plate. So he might be our only choice, but he's our only choice. And so David is the only one who volunteers. And so Saul says, all right, well, you're the only one who's actually in 40 days come and said you want to take a shot at this guy. So in order to do that, I got to give you my armor. And so Saul gives David his armor and David puts it on and David says, I can't go in this. I'm not used, I'm not used to your armor, Saul. So David takes it off. He grabs his sling and a few stones from the ground his shepherd's staff, and he marches into the valley. Now, that's confidence. Like, that's, that's bold, man. Like, that's, David, David is saying, like, I'm not wondering if I'm going to win. I need my dad to clear off some shelf space when I bring home the trophy, right? Like, I'm going to do this. But here's the thing. Goliath doesn't respect David when he comes into the valley. Goliath, Goliath sees David just like Saul saw David as just this weak kid. In fact, look at what Goliath says. Verse 43. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He's so insulted. They've sent a kid to take out their mightiest warrior. Who do you think I am? And he goes on. He says, the Philistine cursed David by his gods and said, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. In other words, I'm going to destroy you and the animals are going to eat your flesh for lunch. Like I've got like you, you are no match for me, kid. David isn't even phased. Very next verse, verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And if you know the story, you know David takes those rock, takes a, one of those rocks he had picked up, puts it in his sling, whirls it around, lets it fly, and he hits Goliath right in the forehead. Goliath drops David runs up, grabs Goliath's sword, because David didn't even have a sword with him, cuts Goliath's head off, raises and shows everybody this head of the giant, and the Philistines take off and run. And it's a great story. And that's how we tell it. The underdog versus the champion. The, the, the shepherd boy versus the mightiest warrior of the land. The weak versus the strong. But do you remember, do you remember like when I was a kid, there was this radio personality called Paul Harvey. Remember Paul Harvey? And he would be like, and here's the rest of the story. I think when we read David and Goliath, we just stop there and we're like, oh, that's great. God can, God can achieve victory through the, the, the lowest circumstances. David didn't have a shot. I don't, I don't think we've understood the story because I don't think we understand David. And I don't think we understand Goliath. We have this failure to really understand David and Goliath. And so first, we misunderstand David. We don't know who he is. Because, see, in Israel at this time, there are three kinds of warriors. There's the, there's the, the cavalry, you know, like chariots and horses. There's those people. There's the infantry, armor, swords, spears, like Goliath. But then there's another kind of warrior, the artillery. Yeah, the artillery. Bows and arrows, and in Israel they had slingers. 
slingers. David is a slinger. David's not an infantryman. David is a slinger. And that doesn't mean he's got a slingshot. David didn't go out there with a, with a stick with a Y in it and a rubber band. He's got a sling, and a sling is a lethal weapon. I don't know if you know this, but thanks to this awesome invention called YouTube, there are these sling nerds, right? Like they like do all these scientific experiments with slings. It's awesome. And I discovered some stuff about slings that starts to rewrite this story in my brain. So uh, a sling in the hands of an experienced slinger, which is who David is, if, like you could, they could get that thing rotating six or seven times a second, and when they would release it, that rock would be traveling about 35 meters per second through the air. Which means if David and Goliath are about 100 feet apart from each other, when David lets it go, Goliath has less than a second to react. That's a powerful weapon. Well, But, but it's just a rock. Yeah, but the rocks in the Valley of Elah are, are denser and heavier than normal rocks. So these sling nerds have calculated that with, a, with an experienced slinger swirling that, that sling around, releasing that rock, it's the equivalent of a 45 caliber handgun. Popping Goliath right in the forehead. Well, what about accuracy? You're talking about throwing a rock. In Israel, experienced slingers could hit birds in flight. That's pretty accurate. So David walks into the battle, not at a disadvantage. Everybody else thought he was, he was going to get killed and creamed. He's got a lethal weapon in his hand. But see, here's the thing. Goliath isn't expecting them to send artillery Goliath is expecting hand-to-hand -hand combat. Come here so that I can feed your flesh to the birds and the animals. David isn't an idiot. David knows he can't win on those terms. So David changes the rules of combat without telling the opponent. He changes the game. David isn't weak. David's just a different kind of warrior. That's what you got to understand. You see, Goliath... Saul, David's brothers, all of the army assumed that if you were going to defeat Goliath, you had to be stronger than Goliath. That it would take a warrior like Goliath to take down Goliath. We've got to pit power versus power, strength versus strength. But trying to defeat a giant in your life by playing the game the giant's playing, you will always lose because it's a fixed fight. You can't win. You can't fight the enemy with the enemy's rules. So you've got to change the game. You've got you to change the, the rules of the fight. You see, some of us have marriage giants in our lives, and our marriage is on the rocks, and it's, it's, it's topsy-turvy, and we're going to the same jacked-up friends who don't have a successful marriage either to try to figure out how to work it out. We're trying to play the game by the enemy's rules. We're trying to overcome addiction by trying harder and self-determination, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going I'm to make it, and then we fail, and we defeat, feel defeated. Why? Because we're trying to do it in our own power, trying to do it with the giant's rules. We're trying to defeat depression and anxiety and stress using the same weapons that everybody else is using. We're trying to be successful in life by working more and working harder. And all we find is the giant keeps winning. But to take out the giant, you got to be a different kind of warrior. you got to fight differently. You can't, you can't fight with those same kind of weapons. You see, we don't fight fire with fire. Not as Christians. That's what the enemy wants us to do. 
fight power with power. Fight strength with strength. No, no, no. As Christians, we fight fire with heaven. We fight fire with the the weaponry that God has given us because it is not weak. It's mighty for the tearing down of spiritual strongholds. But too often, we see our giants through the eyes of Saul and not David. And that causes us to misidentify David. We don't know ourselves. We don't know what we have access to because we're trying to fight the way everybody else fights. And we keep losing just like everybody else keeps losing because we're not fighting right. We're fighting a fixed game. But that also means we misunderstand Goliath. Because here's the deal. Everybody on the hillside saw Goliath as a mighty warrior. But, 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 but notice a couple of things. Remember I said he had that attendant who went out in front of him? I said you need to highlight that part. He's got his, his armor bearer there. or he's got. Why is Goliath, the mightiest warrior champion of the Philistines, being led onto the valley floor like a preschooler crossing the street? If he's that strong, surely he can go out there and do it himself. And if Goliath really is the mightiest warrior in the land, why does it take him so stinking long to recognize that David isn't playing the game? He can see David coming. He can see David doesn't have any armor or a sword. Why why can't he figure this out? And why does Goliath say, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? David didn't have sticks. He had a staff and a sling. Not sticks. And there's, one, there's, a, there's a possible explanation. Goliath is huge. And meta, the, the, the medical field has, has clued us in that people who are that big and tall, there's probably a physiological explanation. And it's, disorder, this, it's this disorder called acromegaly. And what that is is it's a tumor on the pituitary gland that causes extra growth hormone to be produced. And so how many of you remember Andre the Giant, the wrestler, Andre the Giant? Anybody? He was in uh, Princess Bride. Does that help? Like he was the giant? Uh, um, Maybe maybe that's a little too... How how many remember the big show, another wrestler, choke slam? The great Kali, any wrestling fans? Anybody remember uh, Mr. Larson from Happy Gilmore? Who, who would taunt, he was like Happy Gilmore's boss, but then he would taunt, thank you, I appreciate that. He would taunt uh, Shooter McGavin, and he was like, I'll come and meet you after this, you know, that guy. All of those people had acromegaly. Giants. People like over seven, eight feet tall. They've got this disorder. Robert Wadlow, the tallest verified person who, who we know, like, like we, ha- we know how tall he was, nearly nine feet tall. Uh, acromegaly. So there's a good shot, we don't know this for certain, but there's a more than likely shot that Goliath had acromegaly. And one of the common side effects is that 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 tumor that grows on your pituitary gland compresses against your optic nerve and causes you to have vision problems. So why why can't Goliath walk out into the field by himself? Why does he have to be led? Because he can't see can't see very well. It's it's messed up his peripheral vision, so he has some balance issues. Well, why does he need David to come here to fight? Because he can't see him. He has to fight him close in order to defeat him. Why why, Why does Goliath see sticks? Because he's got double vision. He can't can't see very well. He can't figure out what's happening. And here's here's what's, what's the point of all of that. What the Israelites saw on the mountainside, the appearance of a mighty warrior, wasn't everything he was thought to be. 
Because the very thing that gave him his size, the very thing that gave him his power was also the cause of his greatest weakness. So here's what you need to understand. The giants aren't always what they seem to be. The giants in your life, they're not always what they appear. They can be defeated. They can be slain, especially if you change the game and fight different. And something shifts in your in your heart when you realize that your giant isn't as insurmountable as scary or as scary as you thought he was. Because here's what happens. When, when our eyes are locked onto the size of the giant, our mouth is filled with the praise of the giant. So what do we got to do? We got to take our eyes off of the giant and we got to put it on something bigger than the giant. We have to lift our eyes to something higher than the giant's head. We gotta get, we gotta get in our sight someone who's greater than what appears right in front of us. This is what David does. Look at this, verse 47. All those who gathered here, well, this is David talking, will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. He doesn't play Goliath's game. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. In other words, David says, you know what? I'm ready to do let's do this. I want to rock right now because I'm taking this guy out. Why? Because, because I've been spending some time in the field with my father's sheep, and I've been looking up into the night sky, and I've been spending some time with a God who is so much bigger than this giant that stands in front of me. So he's going to take you out. Goliath, you might be big, but my God is so much bigger and stronger than you. You don't even know what you're coming against. And friend, that's what worship is all about. That's why worship is so powerful in your life. That's why we want you to, to come. and That's why we want you to develop a worship lifestyle outside of church and come and gather with people uh, on, on Sundays and get in an atmosphere of worship because we need something in our lives that will pick us up from the ground level and place our vision and our sight on something that's higher than us so that our perspective can change. And when our perspective changes, we see that our giants are not who they think they are. They are just idols who have have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, and ears but cannot hear. And then when we get a different perspective of the giant, then we start to see ourselves differently. I'm not just a shepherd boy. I'm not weak. I am a mighty warrior in God. Saul might kill his thousands, but guess what? David's going to kill his ten thousands. What everybody else misidentified, God identified in a moment and saw somebody who would change the game by getting their eyes off of the problem getting on the God who's above every problem. So here's what you got to understand. Here's the one thing. If you walk out of here today, you got to understand this. The giant standing against me is no match for the God standing for me. That's what you got to know. That's how you change the game. That's how you change the fight. That's how you become a different kind of warrior. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here, God. We thank you for this chance to, to dig into this rich story about David and Goliath. And it's not an old story. It's a fresh, right here today story. Because we're all facing giants in our lands. We're all facing giants standing before us. But we know God. We know without a shadow of a doubt that the God who stands for us can take out every giant in the land. And this won't be the last one, but it'll go right now. If you're here today, everybody with your eyes closed, just, just uh, focus in on God just for a few moments. Uh, I just want to talk to you just real directly and briefly before we're released today. If there's a giant in your life 
I don't know what it might be. It might be something that I mentioned before. It might be something that I have no idea what you're dealing with and going through. But if there's a giant in your life today and you're ready to change the game, you're ready to take your eyes off of the size of the giant and put it on the size of your God, I want you to raise your hand today and just slip it up and keep it up because I just want to pray directly for you this morning. You're ready to change the game this morning. You're ready to, you're ready to change your vision. You're ready to change your perspective. Just keep your hand up. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you this morning. Lord, every hand that's lifted up today, God, I pray that the, the what gets magnified in their lives will grow larger. And I pray that today there's a shift that happens in their vision and perspective that the God they serve would grow larger and larger. And as that comes into perspective, as the size of our God comes into perspective, so will the size of the giant. And every giant will fall in the name of Jesus. And I pray that today, God, victory would be realized in lives. God, there are men and women here who've been battling this thing for years. And they swore that it, it, it's so, it keeps them up at night and they feel so defeated every time they give in to the giant. But I just want to declare right now by the power of Jesus Christ, Jesus defeats every giant that stands in your way. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Get your eyes on your Savior and stop talking so much about your giant and talk more about your giant slayer, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is, that's the first step. Listen, the first step to killing your giant is to surrender your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that, that's where you need to begin this morning. And so if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, he, he says, all you, all you have to do is, if, if I'm knocking on your door, open the door and I'll come in. We can go through all kinds of formulas and all kinds of different prayers, but the gist of it is open the door to your heart, surrender your life to him, and he'll come in. And you'll have fellowship with him. So would you do that this morning? If you need to surrender your life to Jesus, if you if you have never uh, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, ask him to forgive you of your sin, forgive you of your waywardness and bring you into relationship with God the Father. If you've never done that, today is your day to open the door. Open the door and let heaven fill your heart. Open the door and let the giant slayer walk in. Open the door and let Jesus into your life. How do I do that, Pastor Josh? You just say, Jesus, I admit that I've kept the door closed. I admit that I'm far from you. Today, Lord, I don't know what it looks like. I don't even know how to do it. But in this prayer, I want to open the door. Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you come in? Would you forgive me of my sin and my my tendency to walk away from you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live for you for the rest of my life? Thank you, Jesus. Friend, if you just prayed that, we believe that a miracle has taken place in your life. Jesus has just completely changed your identity and who you are. You're a child of God. What we want to do is we want to help you take your next step on that journey. So when we finish praying, I want you to take that blue card, check the box on the back that says, send me more info about becoming a follower of Jesus. And we want to come alongside of you and help you keep taking steps to that life in Christ that our church exists for. Lord, we thank you for this day we have today. We give it all to you. 
And we celebrate your goodness and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.